Franciscan, Part 1, Chapter 8, Simplicity. Drawing on our Franciscan tradition, we preface this chapter with the words of Bonaventure. Francis hears the gospel form of life and immediately seeks to fulfill it. One day, while he was devoutly hearing a Mass of the Apostles, the gospel was read in which Christ sends out his disciples to preach and gives them the gospel form of life, that they may not keep gold or silver or money in their belts, nor have a wallet for their journey, nor may they have two tunics, nor shoes, nor staff. Hearing, understanding, and committing this to memory, this friend of apostolic poverty was then overwhelmed with an indescribable joy. This is what I want, he said. This is what I desire with all my heart. Immediately he took off the shoes from his feet, put down his staff, denounced his wallet and money, and satisfied with one tunic, threw away his leather belt and put on a piece of rope for a belt. He directed all his heart's desire to carry out what he had heard and to conform in every way to the rule of right living given to the apostles. Bonaventure, page 542. And again from Bonaventure, Francis defends his poverty to the Bishop of Assisi. The Bishop of the city of Assisi, to whom the man of God would frequently go for counsel, receiving him kindly, told him, It seems to me that your life is very rough and hard, especially in not possessing anything in this world. To which the saint said, Lord, if we had possessions, we would need arms for our protection. For disputes and lawsuits usually arise out of them, and because of this, love of God and neighbor are greatly impeded. Therefore, we do not want to possess anything in this world. The man of God's response greatly pleased the bishop, for Francis scorned all worldly goods, but money most of all, so much so that in all his rules he most forcefully commended poverty and repeated that the brothers be eager to avoid money. From the Legend of Three Companions, page 9. And from our principles... The first Christians surrendered completely to our Lord and recklessly gave all that they had, offering the world a new vision of a society in which a fresh attitude was taken toward material possessions. This vision was renewed by St. Francis when he chose Lady Poverty as his bride, desiring that all barriers set up by privilege based on wealth should be overcome by love. This is the inspiration for the third aim of the society, to live simply. Although we possess property and earn money to support ourselves and our families, we show ourselves true followers of Christ and St. Francis by our readiness to live simply and to share with others. We recognize that some of our members may be called to a literal following of St. Francis in a life of extreme simplicity. All of us, however, accept that we avoid luxury and waste and regard our possessions as being held in trust for God. Personal spending is limited to what is necessary for our health and well-being and that of our dependents. We aim to stay free of all attachment to wealth 
keeping ourselves constantly aware of the poverty in the world and its claim on us. We are concerned more for the generosity that gives all rather than the value of poverty in itself. In this way, we reflect in spirit the acceptance of Jesus' challenge to sell all, give to the poor, and follow him. The Principles, Days 10 through 12. This is what Francis found in the gospel when he consulted it to see what the Lord would have him do. He followed it to the letter, as he did every part of the gospel. And it is very often this aspect of complete emulation of what Francis called the poverty of Christ that we assume is the Franciscan way. But that was Francis's hope for the Friars Minor and never what he called the Third Order to do. It was that very factor which made the Third Order necessary. If all of us followed Francis in literal keeping of that particular gospel imperative, the civilized world as we know it would soon cease to be. Somebody has got to stay home and mind the store, though that same somebody might also feel every bit as called to follow in the footprints of our Lord as Francis and his, quote, little brothers did. A fine balance is demanded between living in the world and being a powerful witness of living gospel values. Three types of simplicity that impact our lives are simplicity of time, simplicity of material goods, and inner simplicity. First, simplicity of time. The computer, social networks, phones, agendas, the clock, these are all aspects of the problem. They reflect the pace of our society. Instantaneous communication, immediate accessibility, minute-to-minute -minute scheduling, running, meeting, doing. No people in history have lived in a more fast-paced, complex society than we in the Western world. The rate of change is exponential. The speed of computers doubles around every six to 12 months as do seemingly our lives. The fast tempo of our life disrupts life's natural rhythms. It leaves little time for simple pleasures such as walking with friends, bird watching, group singing, or recreational reading. Setting reasonable priorities is a crucial part of simplifying our life. The choices are not easy. It's not choosing between bad and good, we have to choose between good and better. One priority not chosen in our Western way of life is the priority of Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest is the fourth commandment. Even God took a day of rest after creating the world. Simplicity accepts that the world can go on without us for a day. Maybe we have to start with just part of a day, but it is essential for each of us to take regular time out of our busy week to rest and recreate, not working on goals or projects, but giving time over to being quiet, to being with family, walking in nature. Turn off the computer, the TV, the appliances, the phone, never mind the mail and the to-dos, and just be. Second, simplicity of material goods. 
Many cultures inundated with the message that buying and owning are integral to our health and happiness make speaking against this seem blasphemous. We are bombarded with advertisements from every angle, television, radio, magazines, billboards, sidebars, that tell us this new car will make us attractive, those Italian leather shoes will make us sophisticated, this stock portfolio will make us secure. We are told money cannot buy happiness, but it sure helps. Jesus talked about wealth, poverty, and the stewardship of God's gifts consistently. In his inaugural teaching in the synagogue in Nazareth, he proclaimed that the Spirit of the Lord had anointed him to bring good news to the poor, Luke 4.18. The Beatitudes in Luke's Gospel begin, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, Luke 6.20. The Gospels are filled with warnings about wealth. Mary's song, the Magnificat, in which the hungry are filled and the rich are sent away empty, in Luke 1, 46-55, or the parable of the rich young man told to sell everything and follow Jesus, in Mark 10, 17-22, the lilies of the field, in Luke 12, 22-31, the story of Lazarus, Luke 16, 19-31. Other New Testament passages include Acts' call to communal ownership of property in Acts 4. James is preaching against honoring the wealthy while disregarding the poor, James 2, 1 through 4. And Paul's memorable but often ignored warning that the love of wealth is the root of all evil in 1 Timothy 6, 10. Jesus and the apostles were not saying that people who are wealthy are bad people. They were saying that having wealth is dangerous and that having abundant possessions can be a trap. Consuming items to excess such as food, alcohol, sex, social networking, or material gain is addictive. Some wealthy persons, when asked how much is enough, will respond, a little bit more. As with addictions, the more we have, the more we want, and the less we are satisfied. Eventually, the substance becomes the focus of our life, and everything else becomes peripheral. In religious language, we call this idolatry. Simplicity is a kind of integrity. It means that we adopt gospel values in place of the values of the marketplace while living fully in the marketplace. It means that we live out the interior attitude of self-denial. It means becoming aware of the poverty of our community and the world and using the resources we have been given to respond. It means learning to be good stewards of the material goods we've been given. It means sharing what we have with others. It means paying attention to what is going on in the world and the marketplace so we do not unknowingly support industries and policies that pollute our environment or harass others or deprive them of their basic human rights. It means not knowingly investing in the oppression of others if we can in any way help it. This might translate as, put your money where your heart is. 
Simplicity means not investing ourselves in acquiring or clinging to our possessions. We learn to hold very lightly to the material goods of this world. And as Francis said in his earlier rule, not think of coin or money having any greater usefulness than stones, worthless by comparison to the wealth of the spirit. Acquisition of wealth as a primary goal is not compatible with basic Franciscan values. This does not mean we cannot or do not have possessions. It simply means we do not count them of greater value than people, relationships, or God. It means that we recognize all is gift. It means that we would not be crushed if our things were lost or broken. Tertiaries are often responsible for the care and well-being of families. It's important to remember that the other members of our families are not usually called to a Franciscan vocation. Imposing unnecessary austerity on them would not be right. Our vocation is our domain. We must find ways to express Franciscan simplicity in our lives that will not impinge on the needs of our family members. We need to make allowances for things we really need that might not ordinarily be considered simple. On the other hand, if we have just purchased a third coat and have not contributed anything toward feeding the hungry or housing the homeless or making a contribution to the church or TSSF, it may be time to give our priorities some serious thought. We each have to find the particular practices of simplicity that is right for us. Simplicity is an alternate way of looking at the world, a way that offers us greater freedom. It calls us to live Eucharistically, to have an attitude of thanksgiving about all of life. It is a way of living in gratitude for all of it, knowing we are cared for by God and have the freedom to share with others. This reality frames the heart of Christian simplicity. It is the means of liberation and power to live the kingdom of God without fear and avarice. Christian simplicity differs from voluntary simplicity in two key ways. First, Christian simplicity is a gift, a God-given grace rather than something achieved by willpower. And second, We maintain simplicity not as an end in itself, yet another idol to be smashed, but because we are so hungry for God, the things of God, and the honoring of God in the other, that we need to share our sustenance. Like Francis, we so want to follow the way of Jesus that all else pales in significance and desire. Inner Simplicity While those in the third order are not called to the literal vow of poverty, we do promise to live simply. We reject society's artificial values and adopt gospel values, to share what we have with others who have less, to care for one another in extraordinary ways, to be compassionate, tolerant, and self-giving. Inner simplicity is the heart of the matter. Outer practices of simplicity are nothing without simplicity of spirit. If we live in a hut in the woods, but do not embody simplicity, we've missed the point. Both self-denial and simplicity in our rules aim for inner simplicity. 
While they cannot actually be separated, we might say, outward simplicity is the expression of self-denial, while inner simplicity is an attitude, a value, a way to look at the world through a poverty of the spirit. Inner simplicity, then, is a matter of how we integrate and live out that value and attitude in our own unique way. It includes stewardship of our time and resources, as well as the inner emptying of our souls to God. Since the aim of simplicity incorporates both self-denial and simplicity, it calls for detachment from all sorts of things, exterior and interior, including closely held ideas and attitudes that prevent tolerance and growth in the spirit. In short, the aim of simplicity seeks complete and integrated letting go. Simplicity is a deeper understanding of our ultimate dependence on God and our interdependence with one another, which we all share but sometimes forget. A sense of honor and the importance of honesty and of keeping one's word have great value in true simplicity, as do a sense of the basic equality of all humanity, our second aim, and awareness of the false values of wealth and pride, and a refusal to exploit or manage the natural world to suit one's own ends. It recognizes the beauty, the sanctity, and the goodness of all creation. It values creation too highly to reject or despise it, for it receives all as the work of God. Yet, it seeks not to possess anything but to care for everything for God's glory, for the welfare of humanity and the universe itself. These are the qualities of Lady Poverty, which we, like Francis, hope to gain through the practice of Franciscan simplicity. Less is more should become the very basis of our lives. Paul says, Power is made perfect in weakness, 2 Corinthians 12.10. Yet we are afraid of relinquishing our illusions of strength and power and discovering the true strength of Christ, the only kind of power that gospel offers us. Remember Jesus' temptations in the wilderness? He went to the place of emptiness, fasting for 40 days, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. When Satan offered him success, right religiosity, and finally power, Jesus rejected every temptation. Jesus' life was not about glory. It was about the cross. Paul reminds us in Philippians, Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2, 5b-8. This model of Jesus' self-emptying is, for us, the true meaning of inner simplicity. We, too, are confronted with the temptation to pursue worldly success and power. Our temptation in spiritual life is to try to do and be more. If I learn more Bible verses, read more books, say more prayers, give more money to the church, volunteer more time, 
These things will help me grow more with God. But inner simplicity tells me that it is what I am willing to give up, what I am willing to surrender to God, that opens me to God's grace. Inner simplicity ultimately means surrender of our self-image as hard workers, of our titles, of our public image, of our excessive material goods, of our need to control, of our need to be right, of our need to be special. It also means letting go of past hurts or successes or of futures filled with worry. Self-emptying is scary. It feels like dying because it requires letting go of the world as we have known it. Vulnerability means courage. It means being willing to fall down knowing God will pick us up. It means being willing to be foolish knowing God is our wisdom. It means being willing to be emptied knowing that God will fill us. The word human comes from the Latin humus, which means earth. Being human means acknowledging that we are made from the earth and will return to the earth, as we are reminded on Ash Wednesday every year. It means a living reverence for the integrity of creation. Tools for self-emptying include silence and liturgy. When in silence, we have only ourselves as we really are. We cannot feed our self-image off of our interactions with others. Liturgy is a gift from God that fosters simplicity and self-emptying. Unlike personal prayers, which are often agenda-laden, liturgy is that wonderful waste of time in which nothing tangible happens, no product is produced, and no achievement is accomplished. In liturgy, we simply are present to God, to each other, and to creation. And God, who calls us to wait freely and simply, comes to be with us. God comes to help us see in new ways, to relate to God's world with a new wholeness, and to help us find courage and joy to let God fill us. Only those who have nothing to prove and nothing to protect those who have in them a space broad enough to embrace every part of their own being can receive the Christ with freedom to love and serve as Christ loved and served us. Aim, therefore, to first slow down and enjoy God's delightful little gifts too often missed by our busyness. Second, discern what is a priority and what is not what is of transient value, and what may be enduring. Three, actively listen when others are speaking. Four, reflect on the task just completed before rushing on to the next one and the one after that. Five, really see the reflection of God's love in the faces of the people around you. Six, Notice the details of an ordinary rock, its subtle designs and colors, one of the Lord's often ignored masterpieces. Seven, really taste what you are eating so that you may begin to understand why Francis found cast-off crusts of bread to be a feast. And eight, simply be 
Bask in the Lord's astonishing, unconditional love. We conclude this chapter with three sets of questions. The first set, how are you called to observe simplicity? And the second set, who has been a model for you of simplicity? What about that person inspires you towards simplicity of time, goods, or spirit? And the third set, from what does the spirit of simplicity free you? What does the spirit of simplicity produce in you?